This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, December 15th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Apple has released a slew of updates and new features for most of its operating systems. We'll take a look at the highlights, including Apple's advanced data protection. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast. Veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's Chief Security Analyst Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing well. It's December 14th today when we record. We're one week away from the winter solstice. Isn't that nice? Sure. <laughs> Well, it is because the days will start getting longer again after it. I mean, here, the sun sets before 4 p.m. It's it's really dark out now. And yet, in summer, when we're recording this podcast, it's bright. So, Well, that'll be nice a nice change for you. For me, it's, you know, it's sunny outside anytime we're recording. It's always morning when we record. So for once, Apple decided to release a whole bunch of updates the day before our podcast. I say for once because sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But lately, we've had all these security updates that come out just after we record on a Wednesday. They released everything on Tuesday. Mac OS Ventura 13.1, iOS 16.2, iPadOS 16.2, watchOS 9.2, HomePad OS TV, everything is updated. Actually, and there's a lot of things that are new in these releases. It's not just security updates, although there are a lot of security updates included. Let's talk about the security first, though, since, uh, you know, th this is a security-related podcast. So as far as macOS Ventura is concerned, we had approximately three dozen vulnerabilities addressed in this update. Some of them were, were pretty serious. So, you know, from a security perspective, of course, you want to make sure you update your operating systems as soon as you can. Monterey and Big Sur, of course, both got some patches, but not nearly as many. Monterey, there were, I think, 13 CVEs addressed. Big Sur, only 10. So that's like a third of the number of vulnerabilities that were patched in Ventura. So that should give you some idea. But we don't know if all of those vulnerabilities exist in the older operating system. We never know. True. Yeah. For, for the most part, you don't you don't necessarily know that unless you're like really digging in and researching exactly all the fine details of, okay, well, this was fixed in a feature that doesn't exist in the previous operating systems. That does happen from time to time. And of course, there are other times where there is a feature that's existed for many, many versions of the operating system, and it really only gets patched for the current. So the safest bet is to just run the latest operating system if you can. I think I read that Apple gave some information about the previous iOS update about some zero-day vulnerabilities that were exploited in the wild. Right. There was one vulnerability in particular that was patched in iOS 15.7.2, as well as iPadOS, the same version. So if you're still running on an older version 15 of those operating systems, you at least got one actively exploited vulnerability that got patched. And that was a WebKit vulnerability where maliciously crafted web content could lead to arbitrary code execution, meaning that if somebody had a malicious web page, it could potentially infect your device. Yeah, that's always, you know, that arbitrary code. It sounds so banal, but it's really not, is it? Yeah, that, <laughs> arbitrary code execution is a pretty serious thing. So you want to make sure that you get the latest patches installed. Of course, if you can, you really should not be running iOS 15 anymore. You should be upgraded to iOS 16. If you have an older device that cannot run iOS 16, I strongly recommend 
you know, saving up your money and getting a newer device because iOS 16 is where you need to be in order to get all the updates that may be available. And all the new features. And in the second part of this episode, we're going to talk about Apple's new advanced data protection for iCloud, which does require the latest operating system. I want to point out that Apple is doing something interesting. And if they continue like this, I think it'll be a good thing. They're adding a lot of new features in the dot releases. So dot one, dot two, et cetera. They don't always do this. Now, sometimes in the fall, they'll do this because something was delayed and they couldn't ship with the initial release. But I would rather that Ventura lasted for three years and that there were small dot releases throughout instead of dumping a whole bunch of new features and new bugs in the fall every year. I don't know if this is really going to change, but there are a number of new features and we're going to talk about some of them. One other note before we move on from security updates and of course, other operating systems, Apple TV OS also got updated as well as watch OS, but watch OS only got an update for series four and later. Now, if you still have a series three, you're stuck on watch OS eight and watch OS eight hasn't gotten an update for a very long time. The last update that was available for watchOS 8 was back in August, and there have been some actively exploited vulnerabilities too, in fact, that were patched in watchOS 9 that um, still have not been backported for the Series 3. Interestingly enough, Apple is still selling the Series 3 as a refurbished product on their website. So... I don't know what's going on there. Come on, Apple. Like, this is not something that you should be doing. Yeah, it's kind of weird that Apple is selling a lot of refurbished products that are outdated. This might be the only one that is actually unable to have the latest operating system. But I was looking the other day at iPads, and they have a number of old refurbished iPad models that are years old. It's not just like the previous generation. It's like two or three generations old. If you look at the iPhone, the oldest ones they're selling are iPhone 11 Pros. They've listed 11, the normal 11, but they don't have any listed on Apple's website. But for iPads and for the watch, it's kind of strange that they're selling a lot of old devices like that. So let's talk about some of the new features. As I said, we'll talk about advanced data protection in the second part. So one of the new features is Freeform. It's an app that is available on the Mac, on the iPad, and on iPhone, and it syncs across the devices with iCloud, and you can share with other people. Now, when I initially saw this, I thought it was a solution in search of a problem, but it turns out that there's tons of whiteboard apps like this that are, so Microsoft Whiteboard, for example, it's the collaborative digital canvas in Microsoft 365 for effective meetings and engaging learning. Collaboration and brainstorming in the workplace, creative and engaging learning. Now, I used to be a language teacher. I used to teach English as a foreign language in France to adults. I can see something like this being useful if the teacher has an iPad and the student has an iPad, that kind of thing. It's not an app for me, but apparently in business, this is seems to be widely used as kind of whiteboard app. Yeah, and there's a lot of interesting utility and, and potential use cases for this kind of thing. But again, of course, everyone has to be using an Apple device, <laughs> which is exactly what Apple wants, right? But, you know, there's some nice functionality. It looks like they've got kind of, you know, the infinite zooming thing. So you can, you can zoom into certain areas and zoom way out and see kind of the whole project all at once. You know, you can handwrite notes, you can include illustrations and bring in photos and all sorts of other interesting things like this and kind of sticky note type things. So it can be potentially useful. Is it something I'm going to use? Uh, not likely, but um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are kind of excited for this. 
The only thing that I could see myself using this for is for mind mapping. Now, I used to outline things using mind maps. And what you do is you create like a circle and another circle and you put a line between them and you make these links that are more visual than hierarchical. It's an interesting way if you do outline, but um, it doesn't look like something that you can export in any way. So I'm not sure if it's you can get content out of it, like the files, and people can look at it, but I'm not sure how you can export it other than perhaps printing to a PDF, which is possible. Let's talk about some of the other new features, improved search and messages. We mentioned last week that the Find My app on Mac can play sounds in your AirTags, which previously it wasn't able to do. And that's kind of surprising that it took so long for them to do this. The same thing for the second generation AirPods Pro. If you can't find your AirPods Pro, you can find it from your Mac. And there's also the new Sing feature. Now, with our producer, Doug Adams, with whom I make a music podcast called The Next Track, we were very curious about this because we're not into karaoke, but a lot of people apparently are. I'm surprised that it's not available in the Mac music app. It seems to be available only in the iPad and the iPhone. I haven't really looked into why. What it does is it's got a sort of equalizer and the AI finds the voice frequencies and drops them. And you have a slider that you can drop it almost completely or only a little bit. And then you get the timed lyrics at display and you can sing along to a song. It's kind of weird, but I guess if you're singing, you don't care that you've lost that that vocal range also in the music at the same time, right? It's it's not it's not pulling the vocals out, it's pulling out the frequencies of the vocals, which include other instruments. If you want to walk down the street with your iPhone and sing along to your songs and read the lyrics, you can do it. <laughs> but you don't have to have the sing thing to do that. You can just look at the timed lyrics and sing along as well. And of course, you can just sing along to your music without having to remove the vocals. But I guess maybe that's not ex as exciting as the new sing feature. So, Well, I guess this allows people to have karaoke parties at home instead of paying to go to a bar. And I don't know, what do you do? You put a dollar in the karaoke machine every song you want to sing? One important thing to realize is this means the artists are not getting money when you're doing karaoke, as far as I know. Karaoke machines are kind of like jukeboxes, and some of the money goes to the venue, and some of the money goes to the company that distributes it, and some of the money goes back to the artist. So I don't think that Apple is paying artists when you sing along to a song. We want to quickly go over something. We actually spent way too much time discussing this before the podcast, trying to figure out how this is going to work technically. Apple's going to allow outside app stores because the EU is going to mandate it very soon. This could be next fall with the latest versions of the operating systems. This is a good thing. We were trying to figure out technically how it's going to work. My thought is... It'll be, oh, you'll access the app stores via a website. Apple will issue special certificates to these app stores to allow them to install the apps. That's really not important right now. What is important is that if the EU countries have additional app stores, how long before people in the United States clamor for the same additional third-party app stores? Well, okay. Now, you said this is a good thing. It could be a good thing. And if you're the type of person who really wants to get certain apps that are currently not allowed in the app store, then this could be a good thing for you. Where it might not be such a good thing is, you know, Apple's app store process, its vetting process, does eliminate a lot of potentially malicious or scammy kind of apps. And now if they're opening this up to third-party app stores, there is a possibility that those stores may not vet apps quite as well as Apple does. So, it, you know, app, the, the app store vetting process is not perfect, but 
it is something and and it it does get rid of a lot of stuff that you know potentially could be bad and they don't want to have on your device so where it it gets kind of interesting is you know what exactly is this going to open up? If Apple is still not allowing third-party developers to use private APIs and things like that, which I presume that they probably will not allow you to do, then this is kind of a, a double-edged sword because on the one hand, maybe it makes you know malware able to do less if malware does get into one of these third-party stores. However, it also means that you still can't have you know proper antivirus software that is able to, you know, have full access to the device and protect you from those potentially malicious things. So I can't see Apple being required to provide any access other than what is currently required, anything different from sandboxing. That's not what this law is about. It's just about being able to sell your app in multiple stores where maybe you'll be paying less to the store to sell the app. That's all it's about. So I can't see any of that changing. Right. And so what I'm getting at there, though, is you're going to have more more apps available that are not going to be vetted by Apple, and you're not going to have any better protection against those apps. That's where it's kind of mm, like <laughs> it feels a little bit uncomfortable from a security perspective on that. But at the same time, I do agree with you. Now, this is kind of interesting. We don't know technically how they're going to do this, but apparently this is something that, by the way, this is a bit down the road. It looks like Apple is planning this for something uh, in the time frame of iOS 17. So we'd be looking at probably next September or somewhere around there. So this is not something that's like right around the corner, but evidently, according to various sources within Apple, this is something that is going on behind the scenes that they're working to figure out exactly how this kind of thing would roll out. And I'm curious to see exactly how they restrict it to certain regions. So if it's only available in the EU that you could have third-party app stores because of legislation there, yeah, like you say, people are going to be clamoring for this in the US and, and in other markets as well. What's to prevent somebody from you know, spoofing their location or, or whatever, you know, if, if Apple's doing something like, you know, basing it on your billing address, then there could be ways to work around that. Maybe you could use a friend's billing address, maybe sign in with a different Apple ID, and now you can get third-party app stores. We'll have to see exactly how Apple implements this. I can't see Apple giving any Apple ID information to these stores. I can't see them giving that up because that's valuable data. I really think that either the App Store is going to be an app that you get from Apple's App Store and then you pay through that, or you're going to have to pay through a website. In fact, if you're paying through an app you got from Apple's App Store, they're going to want to take a cut. So it's going to have to be some external way that you get the apps. Anyway, we'll find out about this probably in nine months or so, because it's not that far away, or actually in June at the Worldwide Developer Conference. We're going to take a break, then we're going to talk about Apple's advanced data protection that Josh has really been looking forward and that he's really disappointed about. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. 
Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Mundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so new in this week's operating systems is Apple's advanced data protection. Now, these new features bring to iCloud end-to-end encryption for almost every iCloud service. We'll talk about what's encrypted and what's not in a second. This is not designed for everyone. This is designed for people like journalists and activists who, as Apple says, need the highest level of cloud data security, giving the users the choice to protect the vast majority of their most sensitive iCloud data with end-to-end encryption so it can only be decrypted on their trusted devices. Journalists and activists, think about celebrities. Jennifer Lawrence had nude pictures that were hacked from her iCloud account. If she turns this on, she won't have a problem with it. But Josh is disappointed because Josh has an iPhone 7 and he can't use this feature. (laughs) Well, that's not my primary device. I do have a relatively new iPhone. However, I have a couple of test devices. One of them I'm using to test the iOS 16 betas, and another device that I use is an iPhone 7, which unfortunately can only go up to iOS 15. So the way this feature is being rolled out is that it's an all or nothing. You you can choose to opt into advanced data protection. Now, by the way, this is not universally available across the globe yet, it's starting to roll out in the U.S. this month, and you may not necessarily be able to access this right away, even if you're in the U.S., but once you do get the the opportunity to enable this feature, then some additional things will be protected in the iCloud backups. So if you have any devices that are older than macOS Ventura or iOS 16, then you're not going to be able to turn on this feature because if you're still signed in to your Apple ID on those devices, you will you would no longer have access to iCloud at all on those devices. So this is an all or nothing thing. And so you have to really decide that you definitely want to turn this on and not have access on your your older devices anymore. What's important to remember is that this protects your iCloud account. This does not protect your devices. Your devices can access your iCloud account. So it makes sense that old devices, which could be vulnerable, can't access your data. Well, because it's encrypted and they can't read it anyway. But you don't want vulnerable devices accessing data that's protected on other devices. So if you have an older device, you have to sign out of iCloud. Now, I mentioned to Josh earlier, well, you can create a new Apple ID for your iPhone 7 if you want to test it. And maybe people who have multiple devices will want to do that and just not sign into iCloud on those devices. Well, no, you made a good point there about not you know, necessarily wanting older, or more vulnerable devices to have access to your data, right? So that, that's a fair point. At the same time, now there are other things that maybe you might want to just turn on individually, but Apple won't let you do this. So again, it's it's all or nothing in that sense too, where for example, maybe you want your iCloud backups to be fully into and encrypted. 
rather than, you know, having Apple able to get access to those backups if they need to. So if if you wanted Apple to not have any access to your iCloud backups, you can't just turn that on and have some of the other things not enabled. It's an, it's, it's all or nothing in that sense too. So some of the additional things that you do get turned on when you enable advanced data protection, you get iCloud drive photos, notes, reminders. Interestingly, that's kind of a funny one to me that that really needs to be into an encrypted, uh, maybe for some people, Safari bookmarks, Siri shortcuts, voice memos, and wallet passes. These are all things that will get the end to end treatment with advanced data protection enabled. The only things that won't be encrypted end-to-end are iCloud mail contacts and calendars. And there are some valid reasons for this. Email has to be compatible with mail servers around the world. So if you want encrypted email, you need to use an encrypted email service. Contacts and calendars, Apple says that they're built on industry standards called CalDAV and CardDAV that do not provide support for end-to-end encryption. Uh, If you think about it, we have a, a calendar event that we share for our podcast recording. And imagine if you turned on advanced data protection and I didn't, I wouldn't be able to read that calendar event because it would be encrypted. So anything like this that's shared, I don't know how that's going to work. And in fact, you can share notes. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. You can share a reminders list. Would anyone using that reminders list have to have the same settings for this? We'll find out about that. Most of the other things are personal, Safari, bookmarks, voice memos, et cetera. You bring up a good point there. Shared notes is a big thing. Like people, you know, collaborate by sharing notes with each other. And so like, for example, I've got shared notes with, with my wife. Like we've got, you know, things like shopping lists and other things like that. If I enable advanced data protection, Am I still going to be able to share notes with my wife who may not necessarily enable advanced data protection? I'm kind of curious how that's going to work out. What about photo sharing too? Now, photo sharing I can't do right now anyway because I'm using lockdown mode. But if I were having shared photo libraries and then I enabled advanced data protection, would I still be able to have shared libraries? I don't know exactly how that's going to work yet. We'll have to see. Apple has some information about this. With standard data protection, iCloud content that you share with other people is not end-to-end encrypted. Advanced data protection is designed to maintain end-to-end encryption for shared content as long as all participants have advanced data protection enabled. Aha. Okay, well, that's the answer then. So if there is any shared content, that would not necessarily be into an encrypted unless everyone that it's shared with has advanced data protection enabled. Now, they do make one exception. They're talking about iWork collaboration. For example, you can use pages or numbers or Keynote and you can share it with people. Apple says that they do not support advanced data protection. So that sort of data will not have the same type of protection in part to allow the collaboration. Another thing that's very important to note is if you turn on advanced data protection, you no longer have access to any content on iCloud.com. Yeah. See, that's, that's another thing that people might not like. Now, again, you know, getting back to your point about you don't want vulnerable devices to be able to access your iCloud data. You know, if, if you had access to log into iCloud.com and get that data, you can do that from any device, no matter how vulnerable it may be. And so maybe that's kind of what Apple's thinking here. 
I don't know. In any case, they're turning that off if you enable this feature. So if if you're not the kind of person who uses iCloud.com anyway and don't think you would miss that, then that may not be a deal breaker for you. If you're the kind of person who is actively using iCloud.com to access your data, then this could be a problem for you. One other point on this is that your messages in iCloud, previously any iMessages that you were backing up to, to iCloud Backup were potentially accessible by Apple because Apple was storing your iCloud encryption key along with those messages in iCloud. With advanced data protection enabled, Apple says that iCloud backup and everything inside it is into an encrypted, including the messages in iCloud encryption key. So this is something that people have been hoping for for a long time. So this is maybe something that might push you to enable advanced data protection if you do want your iMessages backed up in a secure way that even Apple can't access them, then advanced data protection will finally do that for you. Okay, there's two other new features. And again, they're designed for people who aren't like you and me, although you're a security researcher, so this is a shiny new toy and you're going to want to play with all these things. iMessage contact key verification. And Apple says, conversations between users who have enabled iMessage contact key verification receive automatic alerts if an exceptionally advanced adversary, such as a state-sponsored attacker like Tom Cruise, were ever to succeed breaching iCloud servers and inserting their own device to eavesdrop on these encrypted communications. That's a pretty loaded sentence, right? Uh, that means that someone's logged in with another device into your account and any device on your account can be showing all your messages, right? Every time I get a message, it shows on my Mac, my iPhone, my iPad, etc. So this is a kind of certificate that says, uh-oh, something's happened. Apple says that this is for users who face extraordinary digital threats, such as journalists, human rights activists, and members of government whose messaging is especially sensitive. Now, the odd thing about this, the, the preview image that Apple has for this shows a little, you know, triangle with an exclamation point in it. And, and this shows up at the bottom of a conversation that you already have with somebody. And it's below that triangle. It says an unrecognized device may have been added to Jenny's account. And then it says it's got a little options link. So I presumably that would give you some more information about what exactly that might mean. I don't know exactly what Apple's messaging means on this, though, an unrecognized device may have been added to their account, implies that somebody somehow got access to your iCloud account without your approval. And I don't know exactly how that would happen. How would how would you... Right, because you need to have two-factor authentication on for these advanced features. Could someone get past your two-factor authentication? I find this surprising. We'll have to see how this works. This isn't rolling out till next year. You and I will try it, and we'll call up Tom Cruise and see if he can get in and read our messages. And how exactly would Apple know that some advanced adversary got into your account anyway? If you know, if they're bypass, if they're using your second factor or something like that, I, I, it just it seems a little odd to me. So I'm very curious about technically how this will be implemented. Is it a way of protecting against the kind of breach that could arrive through a vulnerability? They're saying that their two-factor authentication is secure, but maybe someone develops a workaround to get past that and that this is like an extra level of 
verification within messages because of the way people communicate in messages. Maybe, but again, Apple still has to have some way of determining that something is different about this new device that's been added to your account. And and that's what I'm curious about. Well, they'll know the Mac address of every device, and maybe it's an unrecognized Mac address. That's probably how they're going to tell. Okay, so the third new security feature is support for security keys. We've talked about this in the past. A security key is a little key with a plug. It could have a lightning plug, a USB-C plug. They can have adapters so they can go into different types of devices. And some of them have NFC capabilities, like, like a credit card. You hold it next to your phone, it gets recognized. I wrote an article about this a year, a year and a half ago. I'll link in the show notes. And it's a really good way to add another factor to logging into a device. So two-factor authentication is something you know, a password, and something you have, a code. And this is an additional something you have. My only worry about this, and of course, this is designed for users, says Apple, who often due to their public profile, face concerted threats to their online accounts, such as celebrities, journalists, and members of government. If you lose your security key, and let's say you're you're robbed in a foreign country and you, your phone and your security key are taken, how can you get back into your account afterwards? Now, I'll link to another article on the Intercomac security blog about trusted contacts and recovery contacts and all that. So I think that this is turning into a complex warp and weft of overlapping layers of security things that needs a little bit of, of clarification. I think this is something we'll look at in the future. Yeah. And so I, I know there are a lot of people who are excited about security key support. I don't know if this is necessarily something I'm going to use because that's always my fear with security keys is what if my key gets damaged or I lose it? Then then that's a problem. So I, I don't know. It's it could be a good thing if you're if you're excited to use security keys with an iPhone or with a Mac. Now you'll have that ability that's coming sometime next year. Okay. Well, with all these features, you've got some shiny new toys to play with. And I'm going to mess around with Freeform and see if I can find some use for it. You're going to turn on advanced data protection as soon as you can. And you're going to log out of that iPhone 7 and we'll see how it works out. Uh, <laughs> I wonder how easy it is to turn it back off again. It shouldn't be too difficult. You may have to go through multiple authentication requests in a process. So it'll be interesting to find out about that. I don't think you really need it. And and it just seems to me that this adds a level of, I mean, security is good until it gets to the point where there are these restrictions that if you can't access what you need when you need it, like in particular iCloud.com, then you're actually over secure. Over secure. Interesting. <laughs> So it depends on your perspective, right? I mean, some would say you can't ever be too secure. And of course, if you take that to an extreme, well, then you're not using any technology, frankly, at that point. So, okay. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>